Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. All right, when is a person a person? When does life begin? When does a human being start being a human being? These are obviously conversations that um, we have been having as pro-life Christians for a very long time. I am comfortable and confident saying um, that I, I believe life, human life, is worth supporting from conception to natural death. So I am pro-life from conception to natural death. I believe that a person is a person upon conception and that a person continues being a person until their natural life comes to an end. And even then, I believe you have another life uh, before you, eternal life. You're living, you know, you're living your earthbound human experience of that now, right? So um, when we start, when we start a conversation about human beings yet to be born, unborn human beings, human beings in the womb, depending on how you are framing that conversation. Um, And in the culture today, part of that conversation is going to be related to people who are making use of what are called assisted productive care, reproductive care, assisted reproductive care. So IVF is one one of the practices, right? Uh, In vitro fertilization. And when somebody is engaging in in IVF, there uh, there are many embryos produced that are not initially or maybe ever um, actually implanted into the mother's uterus. And so we have a nation full of frozen embryos created through in vitro fertilization. And now the question is, are those human beings? Do those, are they people and do they have rights? Now, you can imagine um, scenarios in which this would end up in, as a question before a court. You could imagine if a, um, if a father wants to claim um, that those are his children in a contest after um, maybe that marriage has come to an end, right? It's complicated. These are complicated conversations. IVF is a complicated moral morass, really. And we could talk about the morality of IVF, but there are millions of embryos that are frozen. And so the conversation now is, it's a little bit like we can have a conversation about secure borders, but then we also have to have a conversation about the fact that there are millions of people here. And we're not going to be doing mass deportation. So how do we love the neighbor, love the stranger who is here, recognizing that we have a huge problem um, with the borders, the poorest borders of our country? So IVF is a similar conversation. We can have moral conversations about IVF, but the reality is um, 
no matter where you land that plane, there are millions of embryos. And if I believe that life begins at conception, then these are people. These are people. And so that was the question before the Alabama Supreme Court. And in a 7-2 ruling in response to two wrongful death suits that were brought against a mobile fertility clinic in 2001 after someone allegedly broke into the freezer, removed stored human embryos, and then dropped them. So obviously those embryos, those people did not survive. And so two wrongful death suits were brought by the parents of these now deceased individuals. So the clinic argued that um, these plaintiffs lack standing as parents because they're not parents because these aren't people until these embryos are transferred to a uterus, which still would be amazing for a court of law to admit that as soon as an embryo is implanted into a woman's uterus, a person exists and has rights. And a wrongful death suit can be brought as soon as that child is conceived in a mother's womb. That would have been incredible. This is even more incredible. In a 7-2 ruling, the court um, decided in, in, in favor of the plaintiffs. It's not the role of this court to craft a new limitation based on our own view of what is or is not wise. Um, but here, the people of this state have adopted a constitutional amendment directly aimed at stopping courts from excluding unborn life from legal, legal protection. And therefore, um, these are people. These are people. You can imagine um, the response and the outcry uh, by those who do not recognize that a human being is a human being um, from conception to birth, but only after birth. And so this is um, this has huge implications, potentially nationwide huge implications for the way we define when life begins and who has rights and who has moral standing um, as a person in the United States of America. So I want you to be praying um, because I'm sure this is going to be um, contested. I'm sure that this is going to be um, appealed and that we are going to be having a nationwide conversation that's very, very different than the ones we've had in the past. And in part, it's because technology has made it possible for um, there to be millions of embryos that have not yet been implanted in a mother's uterus. And therefore, we haven't even started asking the question about abortion. But the abortion conversation is obviously um, looming here if the embryo has human rights as a human being, as a person under the U.S. Constitution. So personhood and when personhood begins is a different conversation than the question of life and um, and viability and all the other kinds of conversations we've had in the past. So I think this is an, uh, a significant development, and I hope that you as a Christian will be praying um, for God's, God's will to be done, but also for God's understanding of human life to be more and more a part of the cultural conversation that we're having um, about what it means to be human and who, who, who is human and when life begins and how precious it is from conception to natural death. 
Karen Ellis is going to join us next. We are going to talk about Fannie Lou Hamer, um, a very, very courageous woman who lived um, and died in a period of time when the color of her skin mattered a great deal in terms of the rights that were being extended to her. And so we're going to talk about her faith and her courage and the dignity that she understood she possessed as a person created in the image of God. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. K.A. Ellis is the director of the Center for the Study of the Bible and Ethnicity at Reformed Theological Seminary in Atlanta. She holds master's degrees from Yale University and Westminster Theological Seminary. She works as an advocate for the global persecuted church and raising awareness and promoting indigenous leadership in countries where Christianity is restricted or repressed. She is um, a friend of the show, and um, it's it's an absolute delight to have her back. Um, K.A., welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. It is so good to hear your voice speaking into our concerns and the things, the, the, the hot button issues of the day. It's good to talk with you. Yeah, it's wonderful to have you here. Um, introduce us to your friend, Fannie Lou <laughs> Hamer. And when I say your friend, we're talking about um, a, a children's book, um, a book that I think is really good for families to read together in understanding um, not just the journey of this one courageous woman, but that the issues that we deal with today are issues we've been dealing with in the culture for a long period of time. So who is Fannie, Ma- Fannie Lou Hamer? Fannie Lou Hamer, and it was my joy uh, to write this book about a woman that I've long admired. Um, She was a civil rights advocate and activist uh, who paid a high price for standing up for uh, the dignity and justice of uh, African-Americans and their right to vote. But a lot of people also don't know that she was um, also a a very uh, vocal uh, advocate for uh, life and uh, the unborn as well. And so uh, I I had an opportunity to write a little book about her for ages four to eight. Um, the challenge, of course, being how do you bring these really large issues um, and really dark issues of justice and, and pro-life and um, and fighting against injustice. How do you bring those down for four to eight-year-olds in a way that's digestible for them and in a way that uh, still gives the parents the opportunity to to unpack more difficult uh, concepts for for kids that age. But Fannie Lou, uh, she grew up in the Deep South in the Mississippi Delta and uh, was a a solid Christian, born-again Christian, and um, uh, took her faith and her worship practices into the arena of the government. And um, uh, God gave her a voice, uh, which is interesting because she's the, she's the demographic that should not have had a voice in the whole conversation. And so God raises up this unusual, unheard woman uh, to, to speak to, in the halls of government to say that uh, African-Americans in the 1960s South should have the right to vote. Um, and so she uh, represented uh, the, the African-American culture, African-American uh, population in front of uh, the White House, in front of uh, Senate hearings, and uh, discussed the injustices that were happening in their community. She herself had been uh, beaten, jailed, unjustly imprisoned, uh, beaten horribly. Uh, she and another group of women, they could hear each other screaming. Mm. 
in their jail cells. Uh, they were beaten with rods and pipes. They were assaulted. They were sexually assaulted. They were sexually abused. And um, when they were released, they decided to tell the world what had happened. This was at the hands of uh, a corrupt uh, police department, uh, corrupt sheriff's office. And so they were released. They decided to tell the world what happened, and they wanted to have a say in shaping um, the laws of the land and shaping their government and shaping uh, who their public servants would be. Uh, there were all sorts of unjust cultural laws and unjust legislation on the books that kept them, that prevented them from being able to vote as a, as a free person. Uh, they would have tests they would have to pass that were impossible, made impossible to pass in order to vote. So they were often turned away the voting. And so she brought all these things to light. She and uh, mm. and her other freedom fighters. And she marched. You know, you've seen the the uh, the uh, black and white photos of the, the freedom marchers, you know, uh, just marching through the cities and and uh, bringing attention to uh, to their cause. And uh now, this is the part, this is really interesting to me, considering uh, you, how you opened your show in your last segment, talking about the IVF conversation, in vitro fertilization conversation today. Uh, a lot of people don't know that Mother Hamer uh, resisted the feminists uh, on the point of uh, pro-life. And uh, they were pro-abortion. Um, and she was they were particularly pro-life. They were Particularly, these were white feminists, particularly pro-abortion when a black mm -hmm. woman was pregnant. That's right, because the eugenics movement and a lot of our conversations that we're still having today are the children of the eugenics movement. Who's going to say who's fit and unfit to have a child? Uh, that's what the go And the government stepped into that position and said, well, if you're poor and you're black and you live in the Delta, then you cannot have it. It was it, there was something called a Mississippi appendectomy. I know I and wanted I, to talk about that, but we let's take a very very brief break and then let's talk about sure. that because this this yeah. is crazy. Okay, yeah. do you know what a Mississippi appendectomy is? Have you ever heard of that? When we're talking about um, Fannie Lou Hamer, we're not talking about ancient history. We're talking about um, things that took place in our lifetimes. Um, and so uh, if you don't know what a Mississippi appendectomy is, uh, Karen Ellis is going to tell us next. And we're also going to talk about how that shaped um, Fannie Lou Hamer's voice and views on life and the value of children. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. How are you preparing for the reality of Jesus's last days, his passion, Holy Week, the Last Supper, the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas's betrayal, Peter's denials, Jesus being stripped and humiliated by soldiers and falsely accused by the Jews and subjected to mock trials and ultimately crucified. How are you planning to give those events in Jesus's life the attention they deserve? That's what the season of Lent is all about. The 40 days prior to Easter are set aside to prepare ourselves to face the reality of the cross and, yes, ultimately to celebrate the reality of the empty tomb. I invite you to join us in reading through the Bible together during Lent. The study will provide a way for you to intentionally engage each day with the Word of God. You can sign up today at MyFaithRadio.com as we read through the Bible together this Lent. Do you know what a Mississippi appendectomy is? Do you know um, what it means for the government to make a determination about whether or not you are fit to have a child? 
want you to think for a moment about the determination of the pharaohs in the days of the Jewish enslavement of Egypt and how, you know, under their determination, um, the Jews weren't allowed to bear baby boys. I want you to think about the determination of the Chinese government under the one-child policy and the three most dangerous words in the world. It's a girl. I want you to think about um, the view of white supremacists in the Nazi movement where um, any child that wasn't going to be conceived by and born of the right kind of people was not going to be allowed to live. K.A. Ellis, what is an, a Mississippi appendectomy and how did it uh, change uh, form and change Fannie Lou Hamer's view of life? Mother Hamer uh, is actually credited with coining the term Mississippi appendectomy, but it was something that uh, was practiced uh, in a number of states way into the 1970s, okay? So you're right. We're talking about recent history here. And uh, it was a term that uh, described the widespread practice of sterilizing Black women against their consent. So let's say you're an African-American woman, you go into, you know, the hospital, uh, for one uh, procedure, and you come out, and while you were asleep, they also sterilized you. So completely taking away a person's agency to decide whether they want to have children or not. Because the government has decided, because of the eugenics movement, the government had decided that certain people were unfit. They believed that poverty and crime were hereditary. That's what the eugenics movement left us in the last century. And so the government decided to try and regulate violence and crime by forcefully sterilizing a significant portion of the population. This happened to Fannie Lou Hamer. So, okay, so now here we're back to the children's book. How do you unpack these things for ages four to eight? Mm. I decided to use uh, very soft language. I believe on those pages, I said that the men who hated her, the people who hated her and her people, hurt them so badly that she could no longer have children. But I also wanted to bring in the redemptive aspects of it because she was so, so actively and, and staunchly pro-life. She spoke and, and, and adopted four children, she and her husband. And so there's the redemptive aspect. I brought that in. But what I wanted to do, if you get the, um, if you go to the Good Book Company, there's the children's book, but there's also the liner notes. And so mm. parents can go in the liner notes and see some of the more difficult details behind Mother Hamer's life and decide for their children, based on what they know about their children, decide how much of that their kid can handle and how much they want to unpack about that. And so I, I, I really wanted to put things in the hands of the parents um, to determine how much of this story they wanted to share. Some people are really, some kids are super mature and they can mm -hmm. handle like, you know, I, I know people who are reading through the Bible and they, they address things as they come up with their kids, you know, and they're like, well, what, what did happen to Tamar? Oh, it was a terrible story. Let me tell you, what is this? What does this mean? What does that mean? Um, and I know other kids who are, they're just not ready for those kinds of conversations, but I wanted the parents to be able to decide. And I also wanted to bring to light her, uh, her legacy 
of uh, of her love for life and her affirmation of life, she referred to this movement, what the eugenics movement was doing, as particularly with regard to the abortion industry, she referred to it as a black genocide. That's really strong language. But it's true. If you think about the numbers, the sheer numbers of people who are not here today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the country would be very, very different. Um, it would. Yeah, it would be a very different place. This and is so. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to make the observation for folks who haven't thought about it yet that this is Black History Month here in the United States of America. Um, I'm wondering, um, do you have a reading list? Maybe not a whole list. Maybe a couple of things that, if folks have literally, they've never during Black History Month read anything in addition to what they ordinarily read, like. Is there are there one or two things that you're like, you know, that is really illuminating or informative or foundational, um, surprising, fill in the blank. What would be on Karen Ellis's reading list for uh, a largely white audience, a Christian audience um, during Black History Month? And maybe it's not reading. Maybe it's something that you think we should watch or listen to. Right. So that's a great question because, you know, I'm an ethicist, right? <laughs> I'm a theologian. So I've always got a documentary for you to watch. Oh, um, <laughs> right. And and what I want people, this is your homework, what I want you to do is to uh, think through how these conversations are manifesting today because they really are the same conversation at their root. Who has the right to determine life? Who has the right? Who has who has the rights to autonomy over their body at any given age? What is the role of parents? All of these questions are the same questions that are coming up in all of these conversations surrounding life. It's not just a conversation limited to abortion. So go and check out. There is a documentary called uh, Eugenics, and it's done by PBS, and it's it's very fair. And you will, it will give you the history of a lot of things behind the curtains, how we got here today to the conversations about medical transitioning, medical quote unquote gender transitioning, um, even though we know that that's DNA impossible, right? Um, Mm -hmm. How science has been regarded in these conversations for a hundred years. Who were the movers and shakers consistently behind these conversations? And who were the people that resisted and said, life is life? So take a look at that. It's called eugenics. It used to be used to be available um, outside of a paywall. Now it's behind a paywall. But if you can get your hands on that PBS eugenics documentary, have a look at that. And then take that. And go back and do what you just did at the top of this segment and go back and look at the violations of life in Scripture. That's a great place to compare. And you will see that the spirit is the same. So I'm finding, too, there's one called the Eugenics Crusade, which looks like a series, a PBS series. And then, yeah, Mm -hmm. maybe that's what we're looking for. All right. Um, Yes, actually, if you... um, uh, you can watch part of it on YouTube, The Origin of Eugenics in America, on the PBS YouTube channel. Um, and then you can watch the fuller series, The Eugenics Crusade, um, <clears throat> as well um, at pbs.org. Those are really helpful. Thank you so much for that for that recommendation. Karen, we always uh, love talking with you. And, 
appreciate your perspective. And today, just want to celebrate this children's book, Fannie Lou Hamer, The Courageous Woman Who Marched for Dignity. Um, It is a part of um, a series of books called Do Great Things for God uh, by our friends um, at Good News, um, The Good Book Company. Uh, And so you can find it at thegoodbook.com. Um, You can find it, obviously, everywhere else as well. I'm happy to send you direct uh, contact info for Karen Ellis. And Karen, as always, thank you so much for joining us on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen, for everything that you do. Yeah, it's uh, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to know you. We love you. So thank you so much. (laughs) Um, If you um, if you live in uh, in America, then you might know the date December the 7th, 1941. That might be your day of infamy. Or maybe um, if you live in America, your day of infamy is September 11th. If you live in Afghanistan, the day that now lives in infamy is August 30th, 2021. If you live in Israel, the day that now lives in infamy is October the 7th, 2024. I want to take us back two years, almost exactly two years, to February 24th, 2022. Because on that day, two years ago, life for the people of Ukraine changed forever. The Russians invaded. And the assault on their life has been unrelenting. February 24th, 2022 is a day that lives in infamy for the people of Ukraine and those who love them. Chris Manson's life has been transformed by a war halfway around the world, around the world, because his daughter saw on the news what was happening in Ukraine, and she asked her dad a heart-searing question. Daddy, what are you going to do? We're going to get an update next on ambulances for Ukraine. Chris Manson will be here. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Chris Manson is joining us now. Ambulances for Ukraine is uh, the conversation topic. We are very quickly approaching the second anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine on um, the 24th of February, just a couple of days away. Chris, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Well, thank you for having me. Let's um, let's let's go back to the beginning. Um, okay. You are watching a news report, and uh, your daughter, your daughter says something um, that really has changed your life. No, definitely. I mean, we're watching the news, and you know, I, I, she's she was seeing she was seeing scenes in like Lviv and Kiev where trains were taking like women and children away, and the the dads are being separated from the kids because the dads are going to be staying to fight and no one knew what was going to happen. And I think that, you know, at that time she was seven and I think that just really grabbed her to see, you know, kids being taken away from their dads like that and the, the tears and everything. And it was at that point that it really started to sink in. And like I said, we, I think I told you before, we would sit down to, to have dinner and to say a blessing and, and out of nowhere, she just said, Hey, can we, can we say a prayer for the kids in Ukraine? And you're like, well, yeah, okay, no problem. And and so we'd, we'd add that into it and pray for the people of Ukraine. And then a few days later, it was just still bothering her. And then it 
finally at some point, you know, I could see it was bothering her or something was bothering her. When I asked her what was going on, she just basically, you know, kind of explained what she had seen and what was that it was really, um, it really stuck with her. And she said, you know, dad, is there something we can do to help the people of Ukraine? I was like, Ooh, <laughs> okay. Um, you know, sure. Maybe I guess I'll, tr- you know, let me think about it. It kind of <laughs> took me back. And I was thinking maybe like, okay, well, maybe we'll, you know, we'll make a donation somewhere or something, but I could just tell with the, the pain in her eyes. And this is something that my daughter, her name is Lily. She just, she's got a real, she really connects with people and, and the suffering really got to her. And I, I knew, I mean, I don't know if I knew, but I, I just felt that, you know, just making a donation maybe wouldn't have been enough. I had to do something else. And so it took a few days and I don't know, maybe seeing some other scenes, seeing people loaded into the wounded people being loaded into like makeshift ambulances. It's finally something clicked in my head. And I said, you know, maybe if I found an ambulance in the United States, we got some medical supplies. I work in healthcare for, I work for a Catholic health system. You know, maybe that'd be supportive. Maybe we could fill that ambulance full of supplies and get it over to Ukraine. And if nothing else, you know, I can get one ambulance and a bunch of medical supplies over there. Maybe that's, maybe that's what I could do to help. And that's kind of, and that's, you know, kind of how things started. All right. And so the story of the first ambulance. Yeah. So we, we, I mean, we, we find this ambulance. Uh, well, I've got this crazy idea. I tell anyone and everyone that I'm talking to, I've got this crazy idea. And I call up this local ambulance provider that I've, I've met him maybe a couple times in my life and my job don't know him too well. And I, and I'm rambling on about, Hey, I've got this crazy idea. I want to help the people in Ukraine. This is what I want to do. My daughter's asked me to do something. Do you have an ambulance? And I've been expecting him to say, no, maybe I'll get back to you. We'll talk about it, you know, something. And all he says, and I remember I'm in Chicago's O'Hare airport. I was just coming back from Washington DC for work and I'm walking through this terminal and he just says, what do you need? Gas or diesel? And I'll bet I probably stopped in that airport. It just froze me cold because I realized right then and there I had an ambulance. I mean, yeah, I didn't. He's going to give you one. He's going to give you one. I just, just give me, a... yeah, I, yeah, amazing. <laughs> it's it's a miracle. I mean, and I didn't even know what I didn't know about how to get it over there. I mean, I didn't even know half the stuff that. I mean, I didn't even know what not to know. And this guy. So how just does like, a you know person? What? Yeah, how does a person get an ambulance to Ukraine? <laughs> well, well, and again. And, and I heard your 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 kind of lead into this about my faith, and and I've always you know I've always believed in God and everything, and I thought I had a decent relationship with God. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, after these two years, um, I, I, the short answer is how does one how does one get an ambulance over to Ukraine? It's with a lot of help from God and putting a lot mm-hmm. of pieces in place and putting the right people um, in front of me at the right time. And I'm telling you over and over and over again. Um, it just, this happens, it just happens over the past two years. It's just happened every single time. Whenever I run into a hurdle, um, and I catch myself, I, I try to catch myself now a little bit more. I'm like, okay, this has always worked out. You know, God's got a plan, you know, have some faith. Um, and, and sure enough, it resolves. But in, in the, the case of the first few ambulances that I've, that I got, my idea was, oh, get, maybe I can get them on a military plane flying over. I can talk to my congressman or my senator and, you know, maybe they can help me out. And they tried to help, but there's a bureaucracy and there's just, there's all this red tape. And so that wasn't going to happen. Um, and lo and behold, 
um, I got connected with a couple. I got connected with the Ukrainian consulate out of Chicago. I got connected with a couple um, um, aid groups that were kind of just organically developing, and an anonymous um, uh, entity, a, a company, I think it was a kind of a yoga company, decided that they wanted to help out. Um, they had some Ukrainian connections, and and the, their owner or whatever was a millionaire or something, or had some resources, and so next thing you know. Um, they've ponied up money to lease 747s, three 747 flights to send medical supplies over to Ukraine. Well, I've been talking to these these people that have the supplies, and they said, "Hey, you know what? How how big is that ambulance?" And I'm like, "Hey, it's 200. I need 240 inches of space. It's about four tons, and I or, you know a little less than four tons, and I need about 240 inches of space. Like, I think we can. I think we can send that. And sure mm-hmm. enough, on March 29th. I'm standing on a 747 in in the middle of the cold um, at O'Hare Airport at about 11 o'clock at night watching the first ambulance loading on that plane. And I'm thinking, this is amazing. This is, I mean, this Wait, is a miracle. Wait, like this one is- month later? <laughs> oh, it wasn't even, I, it was, I, I was just thinking about that. March 7th, I kind of came up with the idea. I'm like, hey, this is what I want to do. By March, 6th, by March 16th, I had... I had an ambulance, and I actually had an oral kind of promise of an airplane. By March 29th, we had that airplane, that ambulance on that airplane. That's amazing. Okay, so that, we're, yeah. let me just let me just tell people again. We're talking with Chris Manson. Ambulances for Ukraine um, is the ish, initiative effort movement. Uh, I'm giving it all kinds of names. Um, and so we're getting an update. We're getting a report. All right, so Chris, the first ambulance. Um, goes and you know right. do you do you go to your daughter and like well that's good that's we're done this is what we did or did oh, yeah. god just like that was just like the beginning well i mean so that well there's two there's yes to both of those <laughs> so <laughs> i i remember standing on that 747 saying hey this is pretty cool took a couple pictures mission accomplished i'm i you know i had this crazy idea because at some point the nuns the nuns are like it's maybe time for chris to get back to his day job but no oh yeah no i mean it's so well and you know that's the beauty of of working for nuns right or sisters it's like you tell them you have a calling you feel god calling you to do something they're like yep we're on board (laughs) so i love that um no i i thought i was done and um and i was feeling pretty pretty proud of myself so I, i go home go to work Next day, my phone rings. I'm in my office working. And again, I'm like, hey, this is pretty cool. And the phone rings, and it's I, I get like three or four phone calls. Some people from Ukraine. I get some other international or international NGOs. Like, hey, we heard you got an ambulance. We heard it was pretty good. Can you get us 20 more? And I said, no. I said, there's no way I'm going to be able to get 20 more. Um, I'll see if I can get another one. But you know what? Um, I As soon as I hung up that phone, I called a friend. I've got a uh, kind of I've got a master's in theology, and someone that I, I went to school with works for another Catholic health system. Said, "Hey, I got this crazy idea. I sent one ambulance. He went to school with me. He works for another system. I'm like, any chance you got an ambulance? And this is a mm-hmm. big health system. I mean, this is a bureaucratic. He's like, hey, we might we we have 60 ambulances that we run, but we're a big bureaucratic organization. It might take a while. I'm like, okay, well, my the next plane leaves on April 11th, and this is already like March 30th." And he goes, well, let me see what I can do. I think I called him on, I might have called him like on a Thursday. And by Tuesday of that next week, I had his ambulance on a truck heading to Chicago. Hmm. And it just kept, I mean, I'll just, I, I, I don't want to 
you know, I'll just kind of let everyone in from those two ambulances, that first ambulance and that second ambulance. We've now, we now have delivered 67 emergency vehicles, 52 ambulances, mm. eight fire engines, uh, six SUVs, one military kind of surplus truck. And I'm about ready to take another seven, uh, seven emergency vehicles over five more ambulances to uh, a one wheelchair accessible bus for uh, a wounded uh, soldiers needing rehab mm. and uh, one fire department SUV. So we'll be at 75 vehicles uh, by, by, mid, by mid-April. That's just amazing. Um, praise be to God. I know that's where we we have to start. Um, Absolutely. And it's, it's just, it's extraordinary. But the people who have, um, who have said yes, like, I, I love that. I love that people have said yes and that people have continued to say yes. And people have looked around and said, hey, there is an ambulance sitting over there or there's a fire truck sitting over there. We're not using that anymore. Somebody could you make use of that? It's still operational. Um, let's get that thing. So so talk with us about well, we got to take a break. But when we come back, talk with us about that. Like talk about, yeah. you know, tell us some of the stories of these ambulances cause, and these other emergency vehicles, because sometimes it's like literally something that's like just sitting there in a town or in a community and it's nobody's using it. And they're like, Hey, we could use that. Cause I want to inspire other people to start looking around um, for, uh, for vehicles that could be used in this way. We're going to continue our conversation with Chris Manson here on mornings with Carmen ambulances and a lot of other stuff for Ukraine. That's up next here on mornings with Carmen. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, Reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up. They come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. All right, you can uh, look at pictures and scroll back through the stories on X, formerly known as Twitter. That is where the unfolding story of U.S. ambulances for Ukraine is chronicled. They tweet, or I guess that's still tweeting, at ambulances, plural, and the letter U. So U.S. ambulances for Ukraine tweeting at, at ambulances U, the letter U. Um, and, you know, it's described here as a small U.S.-led group of people sending American ambulances and now fire engines and SUVs to Ukraine. Um, 
you know, there are going to be people who are going to be like, well, where's their website? Where's their da da da? This isn't a, this isn't an organization. This is a, this is a scrabbled together emergency unit. And so they're not spending a lot of time um, on flashy organizational stuff. But if you want to connect with Chris and you've got an ambulance or a fire truck to give, if you live in Tampa, you guys apparently um, just like, you got like all a whole new brand new fleet. So we want to know in Tampa, if you're listening, so Mike Maddox and others listening in Tampa, we want to know right now, what are you doing with all those old ambulances and fire trucks and rescue units now that you have just, you know, upped your game? Yeah. So, and hey, <laughs> yeah. Susie Larson might be listening, and I feel like she's got a brother or a brother-in-law who used to be like the fire marshal for the state. I feel like there's people listening who know some people who know where some trucks are. So that's what we're looking for today. Yep. Chris, what happens? Um, give us the story of like, you know, somebody somewhere yeah. heard about this. They saw an unused ambulance or fire truck, and now it's in Ukraine being used. Well, and first of all, thanks for the, the pitch. I really appreciate that. And I just want to let everyone know, you're absolutely right. This is just some small little group of people putting stuff on Twitter and just making it happen. But I am partnered with a nonprofit. So I've got the UA Resistance Foundation that I partner with. All the I's are dotted, T's are crossed. So if you do have an ambulance or a fire engine, you know, everything's legit. And that's how it's done. So Chris doesn't touch anything. Paperwork's all handled. So it's all good through a nonprofit. But so thank you for that. Um, but yeah, you know, and you know, we we're talking before the break just about um, the the people um, that have donated, and that's been one of the other blessings is all of the people I've been able to meet and interact with in the United States. Not only do they give me vehicles, they oftentimes want to go with me. I've had fire chiefs from Salem, Massachusetts. I've had ambulance providers from Minnesota. I've had ambulance providers from Virginia. Um, I've had people from Colorado that saw a story on CNN and bought a bunch of defibrillators and then just said, I want to go with you. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, and I, it's just, that's how this sustains. I mean, we the in August, we drove 22 vehicles in. In May, we drove 16 vehicles in. And a, the core group is Americans that decide they just want to go and help. And we go over there, and then I've got people from Poland that that um, I've worked with that are on the kind of the receiving end when the vehicles arrive, they just organically said, you know, what? we want to go and help. And so we want to drive vehicles in. And then so it's amazing how that happens. And it just and it does. And I'll tell you, you, you talk about, you know, the vehicles and what kind of an impact they've had. Just this morning before this before uh, the, the program, I received a note from the Odessa Fire Department, the Volunteer Fire Department. They've received an ambulance uh, from us, a fire. They've received a couple of fire engines and an ambulance. They sent me a note. They got a message from somebody in Kherson. Um, that's It's beyond Odessa. It's basically the front lines um, in the war. Someone had had a stroke. They called up the Odessa Volunteer Firefighters. They took our life care ambulance down. Um, you know, they, got, they had to risk getting shot, shelled, all that stuff. They picked up that individual. They got him. They did have a stroke. They got him to care in Odessa. And the, the person's recovering and they saved their life. And the fire department's like, we wouldn't have been able to do that without that vehicle. Um, and I'll tell you, I got another, you know, my, we talked about my daughter in the beginning. Lily, whenever she can, she, she goes to our warehouse in Chicago and she signs the ambulances or she'll, she'll sign her name. She'll put a heart, maybe a sunflower on them. One of the military units that received one of the ambulances that we sent in August, um, they had to camouflage over the vehicle. Well, they sent me a video 
and I get videos every now and then, hey, thank you, Chris, or thank you, U.S. Ambulances, for you. I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know, it was really nice, and it's heartfelt and everything. But then they start talking more, and it's in this whole two-minute clip, they're like, and you know what? Unfort- we saw Lily's signature on this ambulance, and we saw her heart and her sunflower, but we had to cover it up because we camouflaged it. But we know this wouldn't have been possible without Lily. So we decided to name this ambulance Lily. So they move away from the ambulance, <laughs> and you can see on the front and the sides, they've in black lettering, it says Lily, and there's her heart and her sunflower. And I received an update maybe a few couple weeks ago. And it's that, you know, basically that ambulance is on the, they call it the, the front line, they call it the contact line or the zero line. That ambulance runs from the zero line to kind of the battalion aid station to take wounded people. It is considered by the, the people that operate that ambulance to be um, um, protected from drones and artillery. And they said, if you are wounded on the battlefield, you're scared, you're worried. But when you know Lily is coming for you, mm. you know that you will be okay. I mean, how can you, you can't, I mean, you can't want, you cannot, you can't stop helping when you, when you get stories like that. I just love it. Um, Chris, um, thank you. Um, We're excited to continue to be talking with you. I feel so blessed to, um, to even just know the stories, um, let alone maybe have the potential of connecting other people to this really good work. Um, if no, you thank you want, so much. Yeah, if you want Chris's contact info, I am happy to share that with you. Just text me, 877-933-2484. Uh, Rick, driving around right now in, uh, in Wisconsin. Uh, he's in Madison. He's driving around right now. Uh, he sees uh, an ambulance parked, and he's going to go find the owner. So there you go. <laughs> well, there you go. I will tell you, Bell Ambulance out of uh, out of Wisconsin's already. They've given me one, and that's just another one. Just like, hey, we love your story. Here you go. So, but thank you. That's and thank that's you so really great. for everything you're doing to 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 get the word out. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, on Twitter, I just uh, sent a link to my friend Gail Guayardo, who is a broadcaster in Tampa, and so I'm gonna oh, I'm gonna get on the Tampa project, man. I'm gonna be oh, like, if, awesome. you, if they got if they've got stuff sitting around, I mean, they're even close to a port, so you know, put it on a ship and let's oh, go. <laughs> yeah, we'll get it out. Yeah. We'll get, and I'll tell you what, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I've got I probably I need probably at least four or five more fire engines. So this is perfect. Perfect. All right. Fantastic. Thank you. All right. Uh, let's be praying for Chris Manson. Let's be praying for the ambulances uh, for Ukraine effort. Let's be praying um, continually for the people of Ukraine, Christians on both sides of um, of the conflict, um, and and just the witness of Christ's people in the world and this healing ministry. Hey, say, hey, th- say thank you to the sisters who are letting you do this, um, you know, on their on their time. No, I, trust me. Yeah, I, I, th- yeah. I thank them all the time. But thank you. That's so good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, All right, friends, um, we're almost out of time today. Uh, I want to encourage you to go back to where we started our conversation today. Where in the word are you today? What are your practices of scripture engagement? Um, Do you know not just how to outline a passage of scripture, but how to line out passages of scripture? And so, again, take a eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, fold it in half, and the left-hand side write the passage of scripture, but, you know, leave some space in between because over there on the right-hand side, you're going to reflect on each and every line. So reflect with me today in Psalm 86. Just start with the, with this line. This is verse five, the beginning of verse five. Oh Lord, you are so good. 
So put that line over on the left and over on the right. Reflect on the goodness of God. Where do you see his goodness? How is God good? The next line is, oh, Lord, you are so ready to forgive. Over on the right-hand column, like reflect on God's forgiving character and his nature and the things you have been forgiven in Christ. And yes, the things that today you need to ask him to forgive. And then is God's readiness to forgive, does it create in us a readiness to forgive others? The next line is, O Lord, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. Who needs help today? Who, Who is asking God for help? And how is God possibly sending you as his agent of grace? his maker of peace, his minister of reconciliation into that other person's life. You might be the answer to someone's prayer today. Other people are going before God and they're asking for help and God is good and God is ready to forgive and he might be sending you. He might be sending you as the person through whom he's going to deliver that grace to another person today. Share with people that they're loved and they are forgiven as you walk your faith out into the world that God so loves and do so in ways that honor Jesus. Thank you for the gift of this time together today. I treasure our fellowship. You can visit with me online at myfaithradio.com. You can always text me 877-933-2484. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.